In this world of ours today, the scriptures span the globe. There are very few places left, if any, where the name of Jesus has not been proclaimed. Millions of people have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. At some point in the past, you perhaps made a personal commitment to Jesus because of something you either read or heard. Somebody, sometime, somehow, told you about Jesus. The story about Jesus, his death and resurrection is called the Gospel. And hearing the Gospel message is the first step everyone takes in the biblical plan of salvation. I am unaware of any Christian group which does not recognize that there's a process one goes through on the way to salvation. Some illustrate the process using clever metaphors. These wonderful illustrations are designed to help us understand the plan of salvation clearly. One popular metaphor is called the Romans Road. You may have heard of it. Using the book of Romans in the Bible, we can trace out a pathway which leads to salvation. The metaphor we will use to illustrate the biblical plan of salvation is not a pathway, but a staircase, as I mentioned in the last lesson. Just as there are steps we travel on the Roman road, there are several steps on our staircase which every person takes on their journey to salvation or the forgiveness of sins. Here's the illustration of our metaphor, and we've already identified the first step, so let's label this first step hearing the message. Every person in the history of the world who has ever come to know Jesus has taken this first step. Now, this should be pretty obvious. If you consider yourself a Christian, that means you heard the gospel. You made a conscious decision to respond positively. Perhaps you were in a church or listening to the radio, watching a TV station, or a friend brought you the message. You decided to make Jesus Lord of your life. You may remember that day clearly. You made a decision. You accepted the message. You didn't reject the message. And guess what? That would be the second step on the biblical plan of salvation. Let's label the second step accepting the message. Again, this is pretty obvious. For someone to be saved, they must accept the gospel message. Rejecting it would get them nowhere. For many people, it's at this point, as they surrender their will to Jesus and make him Lord of their lives, that they might feel an inexpressible joy and relief as they understand that they've crossed over from a dark life of sin and have been born again into the wonderful light of salvation. They're comforted by the fact that they will never walk alone again. They'll have their Lord and Savior walking with them. The point in time when this occurs is what we previously called a salvation experience. Now, the goal of this series of Faith That Obeys is to identify the exact point in time when this salvation experience occurs. Most people who call themselves evangelical Christians can point back to a specific point in time in the past when a salvation experience happened for them. This is the moment in time which they would say and point back to, that's where I became a Christian, or that's the point in time I was born again. 
Many churches use a well-known method which was developed in the late 1800s to help folks respond to the gospel message. It's called the sinner's prayer. You may have prayed it or something similar. Using this technique, a minister, a preacher, or some other leader will ask someone who has heard the message and wishes to respond positively to recite a brief, simple prayer, which might sound something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. I know you're standing at the door of my heart knocking to come in. Lord Jesus, right here and right now, I invite you into my heart. Save me from my sin and help me to live my life for you. Amen. For the vast majority of people with an evangelical background, this or something very similar is how they became a Christian. They gave their life to Christ or accepted Christ. Can you think back to an exact time and place when this happened for you? Mark that clearly in your mind. Maybe even jot it down on a sheet of paper. By the way, this was my experience. At about 22 years of age, I prayed the sinner's prayer with a neighbor friend, accepted Christ, and invited Jesus into my heart. Most folks believe that when someone accepts Christ, they are saved, which means, as we've discussed, their sins are forgiven and they begin their new life with Christ. Let's mark a line of salvation right above the second step on our illustration to indicate that the forgiveness of sins occurs at this point in time. Now remember, the forgiveness of sins equals saved and saved means this is the exact point in time you were born again and became a Christian. Born again equals Christian, equals saved, equals sins are forgiven. It's all the same thing. Now, sometimes if someone accepts Christ through a radio broadcast or a television program, they're encouraged to join a local Bible-based church in order to experience and be strengthened by the fellowship. New converts are encouraged to read and study their Bible and to live a life that honors God. In many churches, these babes in Christ are told that water baptism is a very important command of Jesus and they should be baptized as soon as possible in obedience to the Lord since they've now been saved and their sins have been forgiven. Sometimes new converts are taught that water baptism is the first real act of obedience a new Christian takes. This in general is the overview of the modern plan of salvation, which is promoted and used by most of the evangelical world today. Now, different churches and denominations use different words or phrases and make little adjustments to this plan in various ways, but basically this is the plan. This might be summed up as accepting Christ for salvation. When you believe or accept the message and receive Christ as Savior, you become a Christian and your sins are wiped out. Now there's just one problem with the modern plan of salvation. It's not the biblical plan. The Bible never teaches us to simply and only believe in Christ for our salvation, even though there are scriptures which seem to support that view. It never teaches us to say a prayer to be saved. It never teaches us to ask Jesus to come into our heart. 
It does not teach that our sins are forgiven as a result of decisions we make or actions we take outside of biblical obedience. We're not saved by works, things we do. The Bible never uses a phrase like accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Does this surprise you? There's a lot more to the biblical plan of salvation than these first two steps. Something horrible has happened to the plan of salvation over the last millennia. It has been changed. This modern plan is still very, very close, but there are critical things missing and out of place. Frankly, this shouldn't surprise anyone. Listen, if Satan wanted to offer a counterfeit plan, why would he create a lame one? Remember my $100 bill drawn with a green crayon? No one would accept that. Satan's counterfeit would need to be so good and so convincing, so very close to the biblical plan that it could trick anyone who was unwilling to compare the plan they learned and followed to the biblical plan of salvation once you've been made aware of it. Satan doesn't deny the plan. He simply changes some things around just a little bit and then provides a warm environment in which he can lie and his lie can grow. Satan's plan is an absolutely delicious plan served up with very real emotions of joy and love and some warm physical feelings and often some very real experiences. All of these are expertly crafted to confirm his lie. I hope you're getting just a little bit concerned. Once again, I'm going to ask you to step back if you're feeling a little emotionally charged. I'm merely asking that you think about, pray about, and evaluate the things that you're learning. But please, never for a moment think that any of us could not be deceived by that snake. Remember, it's always been his trick to twist or to question God's commands from Eve's experience in the garden to Jesus' temptation on the temple roof. Should we be so naive to think that he would not try to twist our understanding of the Bible? The only way we can possibly know God's will and his plan of salvation is to carefully, diligently study his word, keeping a humble attitude and a heart which is open to new understandings. You know, a counterfeit is never effective unless it's very convincing, very full of proof. But then you're not a person who would allow your emotions, your feelings, or even some very real experiences to be more important and more convincing than the scriptures, are you? Remember, I said this would be challenging. It was for me. I told you that I had made a very real, very sincere, very solid decision for Christ as a young adult, but I had not yet followed the biblical plan of salvation. I was still in my sins and had no power over them at all. I was a very nice, very kind, very loving believer in Jesus, but I was not a Christian. I had been deceived and I didn't even know it. It would not be for many years later that God very patiently, very carefully led me to discover the truth for myself. The thing which has helped me see my errors more than anything else was my respect and my love for the scriptures and an understanding that they're the only reliable authority. I decided I could not rely on my feelings, emotions, or experiences, no matter how real they were for me. 
They are not my source of religious authority. I had to put a lot of things behind me and be open to the possibility that I had been wrong. When someone showed me what the Bible actually taught and the plan of salvation, it was so obvious, I accepted it quickly and immediately obeyed it. But I didn't stop there. I carefully studied everything out for myself, and I'm still doing so to this very day. I would love to be wrong about all of this, and I've tried to poke holes in the biblical plan in order to make the road just a little bit wider, but the biblical plan is too solid, too consistent, too prominent throughout all the scripture, and too obvious once you see it. In the next few lessons, you're going to see with absolute clarity what the biblical plan of salvation entails and how beautifully it's organized by God and how easily it's seen with the heart of a child. You'll begin to feel a fire in your bones and see a future for yourself, which is going to get super exciting. Now it's time to dig into the scriptures.